Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for October, November and December 2012. Titled, Growing in Christ, it's brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Lesson 9, November 24-30, The Church Rites and Rituals. Sabbath, November 24. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we value our church, we love our church, we love your church. And as we study about it and the appropriateness of our worship and the reason we need to worship, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us. We pray that your word may be an open book for each of us today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Our memory text this week is Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's read that again, Acts two thirty-eight. Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Our key thought for this week is, God has instituted ordinances that, properly understood, help to reinforce our faith. Many societies have initiation rituals, sometimes called rites of passage. In some cultures, rites of passage are designed in order to help people to transition from one stage of life into another. For example, rites of adulthood are performed around the onset of puberty. These rites vary from place to place, yet all have the goal of ensuring that younger members are shaped to be productive and responsible community-oriented individuals. In the process, boys or girls are taught the ways of adulthood, that is, they are shown what is expected of them as adult members of the society. In the Christian community, there are specific rites as well, acts that formalise the commitment of individuals to the faith that they profess. These sacred acts not only confirm a person's participation and fellowship in the community, but, ideally, help to prepare each individual to become a faithful and productive member of that community. These acts also are the means of helping members to understand what their commitment to Christ must entail. This week, we'll look at three rites that express our faith, baptism, foot washing, and the Lord's Supper. Sunday, November 25, Naming the Sacred Rites During the early stages of the Christian Church, believers in the eastern part of the Church, where Greek was the common language, used the word mysterion, or mystery, to describe Christian sacred rites. In the West, where Latin predominated, the term employed was sacrament, Latin sacramentum. A sacramentum was an oath that a Roman soldier swore, declaring his obedience to the commander's orders. Those who employed this word felt that it described accurately the nature of the sacred rites. With time, however, the idea came to represent an act with an inward invisible power. 
the Church of the Middle Ages identified seven such acts called sacraments, which were seen as means of infusing grace into a person's soul. During the Reformation, the sacraments came under scrutiny and criticism. In the minds of many, the term sacrament appeared tainted. A different term was felt to be in order, and that was ordinance. The word ordinance comes from the verb to ordain, which makes an ordinance a special act that Christ himself instituted or ordained. To prefer the term ordinance to sacrament is to say that one participates in the acts because they are the divinely ordained means for us to show our obedience and loyalty to Jesus as Lord. Seventh-day Adventists see baptism, foot-washing and the Lord's Supper as ordinances, acts that reveal our loyalty to Christ. They are symbolic ways of expressing our faith. Question. Read Matthew 28, 19 and 20, John 13, 14 and 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three to 26. To what extent do these passages support the idea that the sacred acts should be described as ordinances? First of all, Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen, and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And John 13, verse 14. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. However much importance we place on the ordinances, we must always remember that these are not conduits of grace or acts by which we earn salvation or gain merit from God. Sin and what it has done to us is far too serious a matter for rituals, even those instituted by Christ himself, to be able to redeem us. Only the death of Jesus on the cross was sufficient to accomplish the salvation of beings as deeply fallen as we are. As we understand them, the ordinances are outward symbols of our acknowledgement of what Christ has done for us and of our union with him, and all that this union entails— and they serve their purpose well. They are a means to an end, not an end in and of themselves. Monday, November 26 baptism. The New Testament uses several images to describe what baptism means. First, baptism symbolizes a spiritual union with Christ. Romans 6 verses 3 to 8 describes that. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Involving participation in his suffering, death and resurrection, as well as the renunciation of one's former lifestyle. In this way, baptism is linked with repentance and the forgiveness of sin, the new birth and the reception of the Spirit, and consequently, entrance into the church. First of all, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. And Acts chapter 2, verses 41 and 47. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Baptism symbolizes a covenantal and spiritual relationship with God through Christ. Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Baptism represents what circumcision represented in the Old Testament. And two, baptism symbolizes a transfer of loyalties, one that places a person into a community that is concentrated to the service of Christ. The reception of the Spirit in baptism enables believers to serve the church and work for the salvation of those who are not yet of the faith. And we read about that in Acts chapter 1, verses 5 and 8. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Many years ago, the Joint Committee of the Church of England on Baptism, Confirmation and Holy Communion made an impressive admission. The statement said that the recipients of baptism were normally adults and not infants, and it must be admitted that there is no conclusive evidence in the New Testament for the baptism of infants. And that from, that's from Baptism and Confirmation Today, published in 1955, page 34. The meaning of baptism precludes infants as legitimate candidates because biblical baptism requires faith and repentance on the part of the participants. Also, 
The idea of the role of the Word of God in the development of faith indicates that repentance must be coupled with biblical and spiritual instruction. Romans 10.17 So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. These elements are necessary in order for candidates to bring forth fruits worthy of repentance, as it says in Luke 3.8, as evidence of their relationship with Christ. The nature of baptism helps us to understand the difference between an ordinance and a sacrament. Baptism, according to those who see it as a sacrament, is the means that brings about the transformation in a person from spiritual death to life. In this understanding, the age of the person doesn't matter because it's all a supernatural event anyway. On the other hand, baptism, as an ordinance, is an indication or symbol of an internal change, a supernatural event that has already occurred in the life of the believer by way of his or her experience with Jesus. In this view, candidates for baptism ought to have already experienced faith in Christ. Therefore, the question of who is baptised and when becomes very important. But to finish today, if you have been baptised, think back upon the experience. When you understand what it means, why, in a sense, do we need to be baptised every day? How can this be accomplished? Tuesday, November 27, the Ordinance of Humility. It's hard to imagine the pain that must have been going on in the heart of Jesus as he, about to face the cross, the greatest humiliation possible, saw the jealousy and infighting among his own disciples over who would be the greatest in his kingdom. Question. Read Luke 22 verses 24 to 27 and Matthew 18:1 and 8 Matthew 20:21. 20, what crucial truth had the disciples still not learned? First of all, Luke 22 verses 24 to 27. Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table, or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. And also, Matthew chapter 18 and verse 1. At that time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is greatest? in the kingdom of heaven. And just not far over, um, we come to Matthew chapter 20 and verse 21. And that reads, And he said to her, What do you wish? And she said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on the left, in your kingdom. Our world is so twisted and perverted by sin that it has it all backward, however rational and sensible backward may seem. Who in their right mind would rather be the one serving than the one served? 
Is not the whole point of life to get ahead, to become wealthy, and to be someone who is waited on and attended to by others, rather than being one of the ones who serve? It's no wonder, then, that at the Last Supper, Jesus washed the disciples' feet. No words he could have said would have conveyed the truth of what real greatness is in the eyes of God more forcefully than his washing the feet of those who should have been kissing him or kissing his feet. Question. What does John 13, 1-17 teach us about foot washing as a part of the communion service? Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, and supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you to them. So much amazing truth rings out through these verses. In verse 3 it says that Jesus knew that the Father had given all things into his hands. What happens next? Yes, Jesus, knowing full well that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from the meal and started washing the disciples' feet. Even without fully knowing who Jesus really was, the disciples must have been astonished. How could they have failed to see the lesson there? Before claiming for ourselves all that Christ has done for us, remember how important it is to come to the Lord's Supper with a sense of our own humbleness and lowliness and need of divine grace. So to finish today, whose feet might it do you some immense spiritual good to wash? Wednesday, November 28, The Lord's Supper.
Question. Read Matthew 26, verses 26 to 28. What meaning is evident in what Jesus is telling us to do here? Why is it important to see this in terms of symbols? Well, first of all, Matthew 26, verses 26 to 28. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. The Lord's Supper replaces the Passover festival of the Old Covenant era. The Passover met its fulfilment when Christ, the Paschal Lamb, gave his life. Before his death, Christ himself had instituted the replacement, the new festival of the New Testament Church under the New Covenant. Just as the Passover festival commemorated Israel's deliverance from slavery in Egypt, the Lord's Supper commemorates the deliverance from spiritual Egypt, the bondage of sin. The Passover lamb's blood, applied to the lintel and doorposts of each house, protected the inhabitants from death. The nourishment that its flesh provided gave the children of Israel the strength to escape from Egypt. So, Christ's sacrifice brings liberation from death. Believers are saved through the partaking of both his body and blood. The Lord's Supper proclaims that Christ's death on the cross provides our salvation, provides our forgiveness and promises us victory over sin. Question. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 to 26. What important doctrinal truth about the cross is revealed here? And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Here we see clearly the substitutionary aspect of Christ's death. His body was broken and his blood shed for us. At the cross, he took upon himself what rightly belonged to us. Each time we partake of the Lord's Supper, we should always remember what Christ accomplished in our behalf. When you add to the Lord's Supper the foot washing, which helps to prepare our hearts before we partake of the communion service, we should also get a sense of the communal nature of this ordinance. With the cross so vividly symbolized through the partaking of the bread and wine, we are reminded that whatever earthly things divide us, we are all sinners in constant need of grace. The communion service should help us all to realise our obligations, not just to the Lord, but to one another as well. Thursday, November 29. Anticipation of the Second Advent 1 Corinthians 11.26 reads, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he comes. What great hope is presented here? With these words we see how closely entwined the Second Coming and the Communion Service are. 
that makes so much sense too, because the second coming is really the culmination of what happened at the cross. One could argue that the biggest reason for the first coming, which included Christ's body being broken and his blood shed for us, was the second coming. The first coming is what paved the way for the second. Question. What good would the first coming of Christ be without the second? The communion service, in a sense, spans the interim between Calvary and the second coming. Each time we partake of communion, we dwell on the cross and what it accomplished for us. Yet, what it accomplished for us cannot be separated from the second coming. In fact, what Jesus did on the cross for us doesn't reach its ultimate culmination until the second coming. Question. Read Matthew twenty six twenty nine. What is Jesus saying in this one verse? But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Look at the promise, the assurance and the hope that the Lord gives us here. These words imply a closeness and intimacy between the redeemed and the Redeemer that will extend into eternity. Jesus is promising us that he will not drink of this fruit of the vine until he drinks it new with us in the eternal kingdom. When we remember who he is, the creator of the universe, this promise is even more astonishing. Thus, besides everything the communion service points to, it should also point us to the great hope that awaits us at the second coming of Jesus. So to finish today, discouraged, downtrodden, Welcome to a fallen world. Why, amid all that you may be going through, is it so important to look at the cross, what it means for you now, and what it means for your ultimate future? Friday, November 30. From the book Testimonies for the Church, volume 6, page 93. Baptism is a most sacred and important ordinance, and there should be a thorough understanding as to its meaning. It means repentance for sin and the entrance upon a new life in Christ Jesus. There should be no undue haste to receive the ordinance. Let both parents and children count the cost. And from the Spirit of Prophecy, Volume 1, page 201, the Passover pointed backward to the deliverance of the children of Israel and was also typical, pointing forward to Christ, the Lamb of God, slain for the redemption of fallen man. The blood sprinkled upon the doorposts prefigured the atoning blood of Christ and also the continual dependence of sinful man upon the merits of that blood for safety from the power of Satan and for final redemption. And that brings us to our four discussion questions for this week. One, when was the last time that you washed someone's feet in the foot washing service? Why is there such an important practice? Two, read First Peter chapter 3 and verses 20 and 21. Normally were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. 
There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What analogy does Peter use in order to help to explain the meaning of baptism? 3. Early Christians were accused of many things of which they were not guilty, including cannibalism. One of the reasons were the following verses, John six fifty three to 56 Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. What is Jesus teaching us with these words? Why is it so important that we understand the spiritual meaning of texts such as these? And question four. In class, discuss in more detail the communal aspect of the communion service. What are ways in which it should help your church to better understand what our obligations are to each other and to the outside community as a whole? Inside Story Divine Appointment Ramesh Rao is a global mission pioneer in India. I was a troublemaker in my village in India. My father had introduced me to alcohol when I was nine years old and it had become an overpowering habit. I quit school and stole money to buy liquor. My family, my health and my friends all suffered because of me. I began spitting up blood. Frightened, I stopped drinking until the blood spitting ended. Then I started drinking again. I was 23 years old and married. Our lives were miserable because of my addiction. I drank up my earnings and left my family to find food. One night I staggered home drunk and saw a man waiting at a bus stop. He turned to me and said he was a man of God. I stopped to listen and he told me, There is a God who can solve your problems. I want to come to your house and tell you about him. I'm not interested, I told him. I'm a drunkard and I don't know God. But the man walked with me to my home. There he told me about God, but I was too drunk to understand what he said. I'm going to sleep, I said. You can sleep here until morning. The next morning I found the pastor still there. So we talked again. I was sober and could understand what he was saying about God. I was curious about this God who is alive and powerful and who answers honest prayers. I wanted to know more. So I went with the pastor to his house some 25 miles or 40 kilometers to study with him. God took away the desire for alcohol and cleared my mind. I accepted Jesus as my saviour and my wife and I were baptised in 2008. Today I know that the meeting with the pastor was a divine appointment. My wife and I began sharing God's love with others. Today we serve as global mission pioneers, sharing God's love in my hometown, where everyone knew me as a troublemaker, a drunkard and an idol worshipper. They can see what God is doing in my life, and I tell them that God can do the same in their lives. So far, God has given us 20 people for Christ. I'm working with 30 or 40 more people. I'm filled with joy that God could use me, a drunken idol worshipper, to bring the love of Jesus to others. Thank you for your offerings that help to sustain the work of global mission around the world. 
This has been Dr. Percy Harold with a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide recorded in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired in Queensland, Australia and brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and Adventist Media Network. Remember, God is still faithful. Thank you.